As I mentioned, we are going to be studying the book of Colossians together, Lord willing, over the next weeks. And it's going to be a study in which we look at it verse by verse and almost word by word so that we let the scripture itself speak to us. And I'm only going to read the first eight verses this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossa. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and that you have already heard about in the word of truth the gospel has come to you all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth you learned it from Epaphras our dear fellow servant who is faithful minister of of Christ and of our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit this is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. So I want to talk a little bit to start things out about ancient Colossae because it's a place you're probably not that familiar with. I think there's going to be a map on the screen. Are we going to get that up here? Oh, there it is. It's back there. I didn't know if they'll be able to see it also on the, on the video, but there's a map and it shows you the location of Colossae. Now, on that map that's there, it also gives Paul's missionary journey and where he went. And if you can see the map, you can see that he actually wasn't there. He didn't get to that place. Now, I think I have another map that's going to come up that gives a little... Yeah, that gives... It's near Laodicea and a few other little towns there. But this is not a place that Paul visited. As I just read, a man by the name of Paphras brought the gospel there. He's the one who brought that to them. So they would know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it, it had a theater in it. We don't know the exact size of the town, but one of the ways you can figure this out is how big was the theater. So it was a rather significant town at the time because it had a theater that seated 5,000 people. So that means the town was probably 25,000 to 30,000 people. So it was a rather big community in that world in that time. It was an important trading center also. They had uh, dark red wool that they were known to trade in, and it was called Colossinium. That's not the name I made up for, but it's probably because it came from Colossae, and everybody said, oh, this is Colossinium wool. Oh, this is is around the world. It was known as something very important. So they were tradesmen. They were people who traded around the area and were known there. This city was destroyed twice by earthquakes. First in 17 A.D. and then in 60 A.D., probably the year that this letter was written. They had an earthquake that destroyed the city. And that was not uncommon, that earthquakes would destroy cities in that part of the world because earthquakes were common and, and all of the buildings were made of stone and then they would crumble when the earthquake came. So that happened there and that gives us a little context too for what type of people he's writing to. People might be in distress because of the earthquake. People who lost their trade. But 
we don't know for sure if that was the reason he was writing to them, but we do know that Paul wrote this letter, and they received this letter probably the year of the earthquake. Interestingly enough, even though they were a city that was pretty prominent at the time, by the year 400, the city was gone. All that's left there is ruins from that time. So the city left and did not exist 400 years later. Well, actually, not even 400, probably about 340 years after the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. The founder of the church, as I said earlier, was undoubtedly Epaphras, who went there, uh, blessed by Paul and trained by Paul and Timothy, and he was the leader of the church there. Uh, Onesimus was also from Colossae, and you may remember that he was the one who had a slave called Philemon. And so Paul had a lot of connection there, even though he was never there. He, he knew who the leader of the church was and knew him personally. And that's some background on Colossae, and hopefully that's helpful. But what we're going to look at first, we're going to look at two parts in this sermon. We're going to look at the greeting first of all. And then we're going to look at the beginning of the prayer. We're not going to see the whole prayer, just the beginning today. So we're going to look at those things. And this letter comes from the two uh, great church leaders of the area, from Timothy and from the Apostle Paul. They're both apostles of Christ Jesus. And that's significant. This letter comes with this information right in the front. I think it comes that way in order that they will say, well, this isn't just something Paul thought he ought to say to us. No, these are the apostles of Christ Jesus. And he adds an interesting phrase there, by the will of God. Now, I find that very important and interesting because those of you who know the history of the Apostle Paul, he had no desire to help the church. In fact, we first read about the Apostle Paul when there's a young man being stoned to death by the name of Stephen. And Paul is approving of this, and he's holding the coats of the people who are, who are stoning Stephen. And Paul did not become the great Apostle Paul by his own will. Because he was against the church. In fact, he had letters from the church leaders to go arrest people and bring them back. And he was on his way to do that. When the light shined from heaven, and a voice came to him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? It wasn't his choice. But it was Christ Jesus' choice. And then once that happened, he had no choice. You see, he could choose to be disobedient, remain blind for the rest of his life, or he could know that this is the Lord himself living, and he should respond to him in faith and follow him. So Paul, who had this radical conversion... Paul, who was in outright rebellion against Jesus Christ, becomes his major servant to bring the gospel to the entire world. And so he writes this letter in that authority. 
He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Not something that he chose, but by the will of God. And so that's how that we should hear this too. When we hear the words of this small letter, we ought to think about that. These words come not just because somebody thought it was a nice thing to write to somebody. They were going to write a friendly letter. No, this is the will of God. God wants them to realize that his chosen instrument, the Apostle Paul, is writing this letter. And he writes it to these people, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Well, there's several things we ought to look at right there that are important. First of all, we have the word holy. How in the world are they holy? They're holy because they put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're not holy because they've never done anything wrong. They're holy because who has purchased them by his blood. But then that holiness also leads to faithfulness. They're faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So these are people who believe in Jesus Christ, who trust in Jesus Christ, who know him, who have been transformed by him, and who are living holy lives because they're his people. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way for God to greet the church here at Cornerstone? To address us as the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Cornerstone in Pella. And that's what he wants us to be. He wants us to be holy and faithful, believing brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So it's a wonderful way to start a letter. It's so different than we write letters, isn't it? I mean, we don't write a letter like this. We would write a letter to someone and we'd say, dear so-and-so, and then we'd just go right away, tell them what we're writing about. But he addresses them, and there's always great meaning in these letters when you read what the Apostle Paul says and why he says it. It's very important to know who is writing it, why they're writing it, and who they're writing it to. And so we now know that as looking at this. But then he gives a blessing, a blessing at the very beginning of the letter. He says, grace and peace to you from our God and Father. Some manuscripts add, and the Lord Jesus Christ it really doesn't make any difference if you add that or not because you still receive the same thing, grace and peace. I think the order is important. He doesn't say peace and grace. The order is important because you have peace after you receive grace. Peace is the product of grace. The person who receives the grace of God in Jesus Christ knows that all their sins have been forgiven. It's not anything they did, it's everything that Christ did. So they have grace. They have fullness of that. And then they have absolute peace because they know their sins are forgiven. They know that God loves them. And God will always love them. And so he says this to them, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and even the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That too is something that God wants for all of you. He wants you to know his grace. In order that you may have his perfect peace. The more you know his grace, the greater your peace will be. The less you know his grace, the less your peace will be. His grace is greater than all of our sins. Our sins, though, are many. They're all forgiven in Jesus Christ. And that grace gives us peace. Even when the evil one comes and accuses us, because he will do that. He knows that we're going to sin again, and we do sin again. And they say, well, you're not good enough. You, you can't be with God. Those are the words of the evil one. Not the words of the great apostle Paul, who says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace and peace. That's what God wants us all to have. That's what God wants us all to experience. And as we go through this little book, I'm hopeful that that's what we do experience. A richness of God's grace. A fullness of his peace. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that the world can comprehend. No matter what's happening to us, we can have his peace from God the Father. The one who created everything, the one who sustains everything, the one who sent the Son into the world to save us, the one who raised him to eternal life, grace and peace from him. So that's not an insignificant thing that you know we can often overlook the introduction and just jump over, but I think there's a lot of things in there that can teach us and direct us, and also sets the stage for all the things that are going to be said going forward. But then he goes into a prayer. This is a very common uh, way for Paul to write in his letters. He often would give his greeting, and then he would have a prayer of thanksgiving for the people that he was writing to. Almost all of his letters, if you want to look them up, you can look at them. Many of them do that. Now, there are a few of them that don't, and he really, like the letter to Galatians, is one of those. He doesn't go into that prayer of thanksgiving with him right away. But most of this, this is his format. And he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God the Father when we pray for you. And that's the way it should be. When we pray for each other, when the leaders of the church pray for the people of the church, they ought to give thanks That ought to be the first thing out of their mouth. Thanks for these people that they're praying for. I I think about that. I've been blessed to be in a lot of churches. And when I think about them, then I give thanks to God. Because I give thanks for those people. I give thanks for the friendships that have been made in Christ and the knowledge of his salvation. So you always give thanks And in this particular case, he's giving thanks for very specific things. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So that's the first thing. They've heard of their faith. Now, that's always good news. You know, when when you've left a church or you've never even been to it, and you hear about the faith of this church, that's something to give thanks for. So he heard of their faith, even though he was never there, Undoubtedly, he talked with Epaphras, and Epaphras said, this is a faithful church. These people are following Jesus Christ. They love Jesus Christ. And so he heard of that. 
And he was excited about that, and he gave thanks for that. But more than that, and of the love you have for all the saints. So here we have faith, and then we have love. Because this is what happens, you see. They had faith in Jesus Christ, and they loved each other deeply. A church that does not love each other has a problem. They're really not living as they should in Christ. Because this is the consequence of Christ coming into your life. You love your fellow believers. You long to be with them. Your love for all the saints. And that probably meant that they loved the Apostle Paul, even though he'd never been there. It probably meant that they loved others and other churches that they knew in the area that they didn't even really know these people, but they loved them. Now, when you travel around as a believer, it's always interesting to run into other believers because it's like you have this bond. And no matter where you're at, and then you talk to them, and you you realize that they love Jesus Christ, and you're one with them. But in the local church, this is what builds the church, strengthens the church, is when there is love for each other, genuine love for each other. And so he starts out by saying, faith, love, that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. This is the great trilogy of faith, hope, and love. He doesn't do it in that order, but it's interesting the Apostle Paul will refer to these three things often in his letters. And so here he talks about hope stored up for you in heaven. Earlier I I prayed for several dear saints in our church. It's stored up for them in heaven. Their hope is a living hope. Their hope is in heaven. You know, and they know that this life is just a transient time on the way to heaven. And so they have hope stored up for them in heaven. Because they had heard about the word of truth, the gospel that came to you. And so there were people that were filled with faith, hope, and love. And he has this love of hope. I think I talked earlier one time in a message here that uh, our hope is not just wishful thinking. Our hope is living reality. Our hope is stored up for us in heaven. And our hope is Jesus Christ. He promised his disciples that he was going to leave, that he was going to prepare a place for them so there would be a place for them with him in heaven. And they had that hope that they could go to heaven and be with Jesus Christ. Our hope is not just wishing. It's based on the reality of the risen Jesus Christ, the reigning Jesus Christ, the one who is preparing for us in heaven a place, a place where we'll live with him forever, where we experience all of his glory and goodness there. And it's all because we, like the Colossians, have believed the gospel of truth. Many pastors have come to this congregation through the years and given the gospel of truth. And you believed it, and that's why you come to church. That's why you believe in him. And this is the truth that is being spread all over the world. The Apostle Paul 
probably didn't even think of how far it would go. I mean, he, his world of that day, probably he thought of Rome and all the great cities in between, and maybe some things even to the east a little bit, but mostly he thought of that world. But we know that the gospel is going out around the world, all over the world, not just in one little place. It's declared to the whole world. That's the wonder. We can support missionaries, and uh, they go to the world, and they bring the gospel to people everywhere. And so we're very thankful for that. And they understand, when they hear it, that it's God's grace in all that's truth. God's grace in all of its truth. And that's what we want to know. That's why we want to study a book like this. We want to know God's grace in all of its truth. We don't want to know part of it. We want to know all the truth that God has for us. That we can grow in faith. That we can grow in love. And that we can have absolute certain hope in Jesus Christ. That's what Epaphras did. He went to that little town, maybe 25, 30 5,000 people, but not a big city, even by that world's standards. But he brought the gospel there, and they believed. And they shared what they believed with Timothy and with Paul, and so they were happy when they heard about it. Their love in the Spirit is what made them filled with delight. So, as we study this book together, I have three things that I would like to have accomplished by God's grace in our midst. First is this, that we all grow in faith. That we all grow in faith in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That we grow closer to him. That we put our trust in him completely. That we know him and that he will never fail us. And that also that we will live together in love. We will love people that we hardly even know. And we will love people that we know very well. And we'll love people not because there's something about them that, oh, we, they're really nice people, we want to love them. Well, a lot of nice people here, don't get me wrong. But that's not why we love. We love because we've been loved by Jesus Christ, and his love comes out through us to everybody. There's a lot of needs in our congregation right now. You know, I prayed for a lot of people this morning, and there's more. Those things are areas where we can express our love for each other. We grow together in love. Because the love of God in Jesus Christ is a powerful magnet for the church of Jesus Christ. It draws people in because people want to be where, where people are loved. So that's the second thing. Grow in faith is the first. Second is live together in love. And the final thing is abound in hope. Abound in hope. Yeah, I'm using the Apostle Paul's three things, faith, love, and hope. Because that's great. If this church abounds in hope, that's going to be something that's going to be seen by the world around us too. They're going to come in here and they're going to see this is a different place. This is a place where people, even when they have hard things, are filled with hope. A hope that cannot be taken away because their hope is in the living Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the three things that I hope happen as we study this book, that we grow in faith, we live together in love, and we abound in hope. Let's pray together.
Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for every person in this church. We thank you for the faith that you planted in their hearts and minds. We thank you for the love that is displayed between members of this church and the kindness and the goodness. We thank and praise you. And we thank you that we have hope. Even if we face death, we don't face defeat. Because you have defeated death. You have defeated all things of this world. And you give us hope. Hope that cannot be dashed. So fill us with that hope. Fill us with every good thing from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus, you are the source of our faith, our love, and our hope. May we draw ever closer to you and love you more deeply and serve you with a great fervor. Without fear in this world, for we know Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.